Well, this morning, if you would, if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, and verses 35 through 38 is our text for this morning. Actually, we're going to look at verses 37 and 38 will be the main focus of what we are going to uh, look at this morning. And guys, if you would, at the sound desk there, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't like to look at the screen while I'm preaching because if there are mistakes on the PowerPoint, I don't want to know about it. <laughs> I don't want to be preaching and saying, oh, you know what? <laughs> That's not right. Um, we are in a series on what it means to be a disciple. We are spending as a church all of 2017 really focusing on what is a disciple. I mean, you say you're a disciple, I say I'm a disciple, but what does that mean? And so we started off in January looking at what it means to be yoked together with Christ. And you have to be yoked together with Christ to be a disciple. We looked at what it means all of January to bow your knee before Christ and to trust him as Lord and Savior, to give your life to him, to call him master, to call him Lord, to say that you are his apprentice, his disciple, in every area of your life. And then in February, we had that crucial time, I thought, for our church as we looked at Colossians chapter 1 and those seven radical, life-changing words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does it mean to you as a disciple to know that Jesus Christ, the resurrected and living Christ, the creator and sustainer of the universe, lives in you? lives in you. What are the implications? We will spend all of the rest of our earthly lives grappling with that. What does it mean that the God of heaven and earth lives in me? And then we started looking, well, we had a break for our missions conference, and then I did a, a, a separate but related series of sermons for Easter. And then in late April, we started looking at what is the mission of a disciple? Okay, we are the disciples of Jesus, so what is the mission? What is the earthly mission of a disciple? And on the 23rd of April, we looked at Galatians chapter 1. That was kind of part one, an introduction, um, how the, a disciple is to take the gospel to the nations. We have an obligation to all people locally and to the nations. And then on the 30th, we began to look at this very passage. On April 30th, we looked at verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then this is really part three, the last part of this kind of series within a series on what is the mission of a disciple of Jesus. And as I mentioned, we will be looking at verses 37 and 38. But let me read for you the entire passage, and then I want to, want to take a little time and go back over the first two messages so we can bring it all together this morning. In Matthew 9, 35 through 38, we read, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his 
harvest. Well, our first point this morning is a disciple's mission. First of all, I want to take us back a few weeks to look at part one. The overall mission of a disciple of Jesus Christ is to proclaim him and display him to our local community and to the entire world. That is the big picture. And to tie that together with this entire series, a disciple of Jesus Christ is yoked together with Christ and has Christ living in him so that he can be a messenger of the name and fame of Christ to all the peoples, to all the people groups of the world. That is the overall mission of a disciple of Jesus. We are to make Christ famous. We are to proclaim his gospel locally here in St. John's and all around the world. And then in that introductory message, I said to you that a number of years ago from Nine Marks Ministry, I adopted their uh, threefold mission of a disciple of, a, of the church. What is the specific mission of the church? What is the specific mission of a disciple? And first, the mission of a disciple is to proclaim the gospel. We are to proclaim the saving grace of Jesus Christ, both locally and around the world. That is our primary purpose and our primary focus. Everything else, everything else is secondary to that second. The purpose of the church, the purpose of a disciple is to preserve the gospel. We have a critical responsibility as a church and as individuals to protect the gospel from false teaching. We have a responsibility to make sure the gospel is always taught clearly and never distorted by false teaching or false teachers because if we don't get it right, people don't get saved and people don't go to heaven. That is a huge responsibility of the church. And then third... The mission of the church is to display the gospel. We are to display the gospel in every aspect of our lives. The gospel is to affect our marriages. It is to affect our parenting. It is to affect the way we work, uh, our employment, how we handle ourselves, conduct ourselves in our places of employment. And we, it is to affect how we are citizens of our particular country. It is to affect every single area of our lives. So that was the introduction, the big picture. And then I wanted to add to that big picture, almost seeing it like a frame and then putting things within that frame. And the first thing that we looked at in that frame or our second message was that we are to have compassion for all the people of the world. We are to have great compassion as Christ had compassion for all the lost people of the world. Now that Christ is in you, your life should be consumed by the love of Christ for the peoples of the world. And in verse 36 again, we see that Jesus in that great verse, when he saw the crowds, doesn't say he condemned them or judged them, said he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. While other people simply saw a large gathering of people, Jesus saw a great multitude that was like sheep without a shepherd. They were literally wandering this earth aimlessly, not knowing why they were created, not knowing anything about their creator or how they were to relate to him. 
Jesus not only saw the great multitude, he saw them as they truly are, harassed and helpless. He didn't just see people. He, just, he didn't just see sinners. Oh yes, he saw their sin. He knew that they were liars and deceivers, that they had lust and they had anger. But he looked beyond that. And he saw the devastation of sin in their lives, that they were harassed and helpless. And folks, today we live in a world where people all over this globe are harassed and helpless. They are suffering from poverty. They are suffering from war and war crimes. They are suffering abuse and violence. There's corruption in many nations around the world. We see refugees all over the world who are displaced and homeless with nowhere to go. And we are to see them and we are to have compassion for them. Because Christ lives in you. You are no longer just to see the sin. Yes, we see the sin and their desperate need for a savior, but we also need to see the suffering and the lost condition of people all around the world. And as I shared with you before, we don't just see Arabic peoples, and we don't just see Asian peoples or African peoples or Latin peoples. We don't just see Muslims. We don't just see Buddhists. We don't just see Hindus. We don't just see spiritists. We see lost people. We see people who are in desperate need of Christ and in desperate need of the gospel. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that it is estimated that there are still today over one billion people who have never heard the gospel one time. One billion people on the face of the earth who have never even heard the gospel one time. And I shared with you that quote from a missionary who has spent time working in Iraq and Iran, and he said he gets frustrated with American Christians because they will often say to him, oh, you work with those people who have rejected Christ. And he says to them, rejected Christ? They haven't rejected Christ. The vast majority have never even heard how they can know him. And we are to have compassion for the lost in St. John's, for the lost in Clinton County, and for the lost people all over the world. And that brings us to our second point, and what I, our third message, and that is we are to be part of the church for the sake of the lost. We are to be part and very involved in the church for the sake of the lost. And so our second point this morning is a disciple's mission and the church. A disciple is committed to the local church, the body of Christ, for the sake of those who don't know Christ. You are not here primarily for your comfort and convenience and for what the church can do for you. You are here for the sake of others. You are here to express your deep concern for people who don't know Christ locally and around the world and for those who do know Christ who are hurting. And your concern shouldn't be, what can you do for me? Your concern should be, how can I be used for the good and ministry of others, for the glory of God, for hurting people all around the world? In verses 37 and 38, again, Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his, notice, his harvest. Now, I want you to notice something here this morning. Number, first of all, let me back up a little bit. Every time any pastor preaches out of a passage like this, we find ourselves in a little bit of a precarious position because some of you have read this passage dozens if not hundreds of times. Some of you here this morning have heard dozens of sermons on this passage. And so as you preach on this, you begin to think, okay, I want to be totally honest with the text and I want them to see it with fresh eyes and fresh hearts. And there's something I want you to see this morning that perhaps you've never seen before. Maybe you have. But my guess is many of you have, and I want you to see something very interesting in this passage. Jesus has just said that he has compassion for the multitude. He sees them harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so your immediate thought is that he's probably going to say, now pray for them. Pray that they will come to the Father. Pray for their lost souls. And don't misunderstand me this morning. There are other parts of the New Testament that certainly implore us to do that. But that's not what Jesus does here. I want you to notice, I think it's fascinating. I think it's intriguing. Jesus does not say, pray for the lost. He says, pray for the church. I don't want you to miss that this morning. He doesn't say, pray for the lost. He says, pray for the church. Here's the main thrust of what I want to share with you this morning, and please don't miss it. Jesus' concern is not that the lost won't come to the Father. Jesus' concern is that the church won't go to the lost. I want you to think about that with me this morning. Jesus' concern is not that the lost won't come to the Father. Jesus' concern is that the church won't go to the lost. Jesus is concerned that the church will lose its purpose and focus. And folks, for 2,000 years, the church has struggled with this. Ever since the birth of the church, the church has struggled with its purpose and focus. We get off on all kinds of other things that may be good things, but I say to you again this morning, our primary purpose and focus is to take the gospel to the people of this community and to the people of the world. Lots of good social causes out there worth investing in. So please don't misunderstand me. Whether it's abortion or marriage, or other issues. They're, they're all important, but there is a higher importance. There is something even more important. I think I shared this with our elders at our last meeting. I, I, I'm becoming more and more convinced we will never change people's minds on social issues until they first trust Christ as Savior. You have to change hearts before you change minds. Now that doesn't, I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in those issues. We should be. Their implications of the gospel message. But our first and most important purpose and focus as a church is the gospel and helping people to come to know Christ as Savior. When they know him as Savior, their hearts will change and their minds will change on a whole variety of issues. The best way the best way to penetrate the world with the gospel is through the church carrying out its God-ordained mission. 
The best way to penetrate the world with the gospel is through the church. It is through the church carrying out its God-ordained mission. We have been called to go and make disciples of all nations. And we do that as we go about the work of the church. You see, through the church, we make disciples. We see people come to Christ to grow in Christ and to have a concern for their families, to have a concern for the world. Through the church, we give our lives, as I mentioned earlier, for the sake of others. It is through the church that we learn that it is not about me, but it is about the good of others, of wanting to see our God glorified, wanting to see our Savior lifted up and exalted, and people come to know him in a saving way. It is through the church that we spread and multiply the gospel. I think of John MacArthur's famous statement where he said, the church gathers to worship and then they scatter to evangelize. We gather to worship and we scatter to evangelize. And it is through the church that we take the gospel to our community and we take the gospel through sending and supporting and praying for and honoring missionaries in all parts of the world. A verse I shared with you earlier in this series, 1 Timothy 3.15, a very important verse on the church and one that I don't think gets enough attention. Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.15, and says, If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's you. That's you. This is amazing. I want you to teach them how to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, I want to make this very real. Some people say, well, that's, that's a reference to the universal church, the church as a whole. Well, certainly it has some reference to the universal church, but this is about specific local churches. Paul is writing to Timothy, who at this time is the pastor, the elder, the overseer of the specific church at Ephesus. So this is a real church in a real geographic location. And he says, Timothy, I want you to teach people how to conduct themselves in God's household, in the church of the living God, the church of the living God at Ephesus, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Folks, I want to share something with you this morning. We will never be able to do individually what we can do collectively as a church. We will never be able to do individually what we can do collectively as a church. I've shared this with you before, but there is nothing in the Bible about Lone Ranger Christianity. You're never to be out there trying to do it all on your own. Now, I want to say something sensitive here this morning. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. Sometimes families and individuals choose to support a missionary or choose to support a ministry. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you're doing that, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. However, I do want to say to you that the vast majority of your dollars should go to a local church because you will never be able to do individually what the church can do collectively and the church can do in um, grouping together with other like-minded churches 
to send out missionaries to take the gospel to the farthest reaches of the world. It is God's primary intent that the church be the main agent of taking the gospel to the nations. Let me put it this way. The Great Commission will not be fulfilled. It will not be fulfilled without the church being the church. Okay, the Great Commission will not. It will not be fulfilled without the church being the church. And the reason for it is because the church is God's biblical model for taking the gospel locally and to the farthest reaches of the world. So it's not going to be done outside of his biblically ordained model for the spread of the gospel. So, pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would wake up the harvesters. Pray that the church would rise up to do what the church was created to do and created by God. We are not a human institution. We are a God-ordained institution. We are the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. This past Monday, Pastor Chad and I had a chance to meet with our longtime missionary, Brad Buser, who now works with Radius International for years, was a church planter among the Ateti people of Papua New Guinea. Um, Brad asked if he could meet with Chad and I. He wanted to give us an update on Lexi Sheen and the work that she's doing at Radius International. But we ended up talking for, again, like two and a half hours, and we got off onto quite a few other issues. And Brad was sharing with us on Monday that he has some real concerns, some deep concerns about some of the things going on in missions today with mission agencies and with missionaries. And he said there are some mission agencies, some missionaries, who very subtly are altering the gospel. Altering the gospel to include things from other religions in addition to the biblical gospel to make it more acceptable and less offensive to certain peoples in the world. He's deeply concerned about that. He said he's also concerned that there are some mission agencies and some missionaries who are trying to do the work apart from the church, bypassing the church. And he said it's completely unbiblical. And this is what he shared with Chad and I. He said every mission agency, every missionary, and every church has to have two things straight. They have to. One is the gospel. What is the gospel? Do we understand it correctly? Second, they must understand the critical importance of the New Testament biblical local church and how that is the very center of God's plan for reaching the nations. And this is what he said to us. He said at Radius International, where he now works, if they have a missions candidate who does not have a clear understanding of the gospel, and if they have a missions candidate who is not heavily involved and invested in a local church, they won't send them out. They're not ready. He said, we're not going to send somebody to an unreached people group to plan a church if they don't think the church is important here in the United States. If they're not heavily involved in and invested in a local church, they're not ready. 
they're not ready to go overseas. Let me ask us this morning, collectively as a church, and you as individuals who make up this church, do we understand the gospel? Do we understand clearly, together, do you understand individually that the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches that no one, that no one is saved in any culture unless they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and what he accomplished in his death and resurrection, unless they place their faith and trust by faith in Christ alone, they cannot be saved. We are saved by placing our faith in what Christ did for us in his death and resurrection apart from any human effort or any human works. Do we understand that? And that any person who does not receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is eternally condemned and will spend eternity in hell. Do we understand that? Do we understand that the gospel is to have implications in every area of our lives, in our parenting, in our marriages, as I mentioned earlier, in what kind of employee we are, in what kind of citizen we are? Do we understand that? And let me ask you something this morning. Do you understand that every Christian is to be, every Christian is to be heavily involved in and invested in a local church? I want you to think about something with me. We send out missionaries. We're like a lot of conservative evangelical churches. We have sent out quite a few missionaries or supported quite a few missionaries. Do you know what the vast majority of missionaries go as? Do you know what their title is? I mean, think about this with me. Church planters. You find that interesting? Have you ever thought that's really interesting? That's really intriguing? Now, there are some missionaries who go out as support missionaries. They may be supply buyers. They may work at a guest home. They may run a retreat center. They may be teachers for missionary children. But even those support missionaries are there to support the church planters. I don't know. I just find that intriguing. We don't send them out as evangelists. Oh, they are to do the work of evangelism. But their primary purpose is to plant churches. Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because that's God's plan so that those churches can do the work of the church in sending out laborers into God's harvest. And we can all work together with churches all around the world to accomplish the great commission that God has given us. I've always found it so bizarre, so unusual that there are some Christians who think it's so important that we send out church planters all over the world and yet they're not involved in a local church themselves. Doesn't that seem, if I could be honest with you, doesn't that seem hypocritical? That they should have it over there, but we don't think it's important here? So let us say this morning, let us say this morning that a disciple of Jesus must get the gospel correct. And a disciple of Jesus is to be heavily, involved and invested in a local church.
Let me move on. Let me try to bring this all together this morning. The church always works best when every one of its members understands their responsibility to be instruments of Christ for the reaching of their community and the reaching of the nations. The church always works best when every single one of us see our responsibility that we are the instrument of Christ. We are being used by Christ to reach our community and to reach the nations. Jesus says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. The little phrase send out is actually used in other parts of the New Testament to describe Jesus casting out demons. It's the same phrase. So the church is to cast out, to fling out laborers into the great harvest of God. In fact, you're in at the end of Matthew chapter 9, in Matthew chapter 10, and verses 1 through 4, and this is so interesting. Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know what he then does? He sends out his disciples into the harvest. Immediately. Remember, in the original text, there are no chapter divisions. Immediately after saying that, he casts out his own disciples into the harvest. Real people with real names and faces. Peter and Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas. He sends them out into the great harvest. And the entire context here is a great word picture. It is the word picture of a king having full authority, sending out agents or ambassadors that willingly represent him. In the ancient world, a king would send out ambassadors or messengers on his behalf. And it was as if the king himself was going. Same thing as the king himself going. And they would go to different peoples in the kingdom and they will say, I come, I come on behalf of the king. I come with the king's authority. I have a message for you. I have a message for you from the king. Folks, that's what we're called to do. We are to go on the highways and byways of life locally and around the world and we are to say, I come in the authority of the king and I have a message for you. I have a message for you. The king sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is what we are called to do. In Matthew 28, 18, a verse I shared with you earlier in this series, Jesus comes after he rises from the dead. He comes to Galilee to a mountain, tells his disciples to meet him there. He meets the 11 there because Judas has now betrayed him. And they worship him, and then he says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If I shared with you a few weeks ago, try not to quote the Great Commission in verses 19 and 20 without first quoting verse 18, because it's the key to everything. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Now remember, putting this with our whole series, he lives in you. The one with all authority in heaven and on earth lives in you and commissions you. Think of Matthew 16, 18, which many of you know well. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You notice what he says there? I will build my what? I will build my church. 
Isn't that interesting? I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do we realize the day and age that God has put us in? Do we realize what an unbelievable time we live in historically? There are more people on the face of the earth right now than there ever have been in the history of the world. It is estimated, statisticians estimate to the best of their ability, that when Jesus walked the earth, there were approximately 250 million people on the earth, a little less than the current population of the United States. It took 1,800 years till 1850 before the earth's population reached its first billion. But with the Industrial Revolution and many other factors, then the population of the earth just began to explode exponentially. And today, today, according to the world population census, there are approximately 7.4 billion people on the face of the earth. 7.4 billion people. Do you know what they are? They are the great harvest of God. They are the great harvest of God. 7.4 billion people. Let us pray that every person in our church will have a desire to be a world Christian. We will not all go as missionaries, but we can all pray. And we can all send people out and we can support financially. And we can support in many other ways. And most importantly, we can be the church who continues to preach God's word and to continue to preach the importance and clarity of the gospel and of taking it to our community and taking it to the nations. Pray earnestly. Pray earnestly, Jesus says to the Lord of the harvest, to send out labors into his harvest. It is his harvest. We're going to close in just a few minutes with that song that we sing from time to time, O Church, Arise. And let us pray that God will awaken his church right here in St. John's and every Bible-believing church, every conservative evangelical church in every part of the world. Let us pray that God will awaken us and help us to be the church and help us to cast out laborers into the great harvest of God for his glory, for the sake of his name and fame everywhere in the world. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together. Father, help First Baptist Church of St. John's and our sister churches around the country and around the world help us to rise up and to be the church that you have created us to be, a church whose primary responsibility and focus is the gospel itself. Help us to protect the gospel, but most importantly, help us to take the gospel to our community and to every part of the world. Oh, Lord, give us a passion, a burden. Oh, Lord, help us to pray, to talk about, to think about the gospel. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.